The following barcode live event was recorded at Secure World Philadelphia on April 19th, 2023. If you're looking for an effective way to reach a highly engaged and targeted audience, then look no further than Barcode Security. We offer a variety of sponsorship packages that can be customized to meet your unique needs and budget. From embedded advertisements to sponsored segments and live show sponsorships, we take a diverse approach to fit any marketing strategy. Take a look at barcodesecurity.com slash sponsor or email us at sales at barcodesecurity.com today for a sponsorship kit. It's time to take your brand to the next level. Your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Tony, what's up? Yo, Chris, how's it going, man? What can I get you tonight? Well, I noticed a couple of security leaders over there at the far end of the bar, and I was thinking about going to talk to them about the latest and greatest in cybersecurity. Ah, yes, the security leaders. You know, they're regulars here. I have the perfect drink for you. What is it? It's called the CISO. It's a specialty drink. Sounds good, but what's in it? It's C-I-S-O, a.k.a. coffee-infused scotch on the rocks. And just like a CISO, it requires a great level of expertise and attention to detail to pull off successfully. All right, let's do it. Hmm. Not bad. I can feel the expertise flowing through me. Glad you like it. Just don't overdo it. (laughs) I'll keep that in mind. I'll see you next round. So yeah, it's uh, Secure World 2023. We're in Philadelphia. Uh, The barcode safe haven where the last survivors unite. Uh, for those who haven't heard my podcast, you can uh, check it out, barcodesecurity.com. But today, we're here to join three worldwide security leaders that happen to be based right here in the Philadelphia area. Uh, first, I'll introduce David Lingenfelter, VP of Information Security at Penn Entertainment. David is a security professional. Uh, With over 25 years of experience in risk management, information security, compliance, and policy development. Welcome, David. Great to be here. And uh, next up, we have Krista Arntz, CISO of UMP, where she's responsible for safety and security of all UMP and its practices, patients, and employees. Welcome, Krista. And last but not least, we have Bistra Lutz, Director of Global Information Security Operations at Crown Holdings. She's a professional security technologist with a proven track record in the development of security monitoring strategies, incident response frameworks, and implementation of agile methodologies within the enterprise. Welcome, Bistra. 
thank you all for joining me today. I, I hope you're all ready to riff on the latest and greatest in cybersecurity. The only um, reason why I'm here. <laughs> I know. I thought it was my company. No. <laughs> it's, it's the industry. It's the industry. So speaking of that, I think we can all start the session off by attacking the topic of what we're all tired of hearing about, ransomware. Um, although it's at the top of the discussion list today because unfortunately it's an epidemic that still continues to plague organizations worldwide. Uh, so Krista, I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, you are in the healthcare sector, which remains a prime target for ransomware attacks. And through the lens of a leader in that industry, I'm curious to know why you think that is and what unique challenges do you feel your industry specifically faces when it comes to protecting against a ransomware attack versus other industries? Yeah, I thought this was going to be like a game show and I would be like, Alex, ransomware for 600, please. Um, I'll go 601. <laughs> why are you such a one-upper is my question. Stop it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I actually thought, thought long and hard about this. Um, so I came from institutional banking, uh, Department of Defense and, and crypto. So to give you some context to my response on this one, um, when I came into healthcare, so really mission driven, which is why I came to healthcare and I'm it's awesome. I, I don't see working anywhere else anytime soon because I love it so much. But um, what I realized is I was like, oh, healthcare, you know, this is going to be, you know, pretty easy considering like coming from cryptocurrency and the complexities that we face there. But um, I was wrong and, and I learned that really quickly. So uh, healthcare is actually a very um, complex uh, and diverse industry when it comes to their use of technology, right? So, um, you know, I, I know Jefferson is experimenting with their use of Alexa in, in patient rooms where, you know, mobility is an issue for the patients, right? So um, physicians, so every uh, individual is different and physicians can come up with uh, unique treatments on the fly, right? There may be a technology that they've used for one thing and, you know, they'll be in the midst of, of uh you know, hospital room or something and be like, Oh my God, I just had this epiphany that I can use this technology and I want to do this with it. And, um, you know, the diversity of the systems and the diversity of usage is definitely, um, a, a challenge, not only with the, the physician needs, but also, um, just the, the diversity of systems. So coming from banking, you know, you had a, a, a wire system, you had your core banking system and you had some infrastructure to surround it. And that, that workflow, ebb and flow, I mean, like blockchain aside, right? Um, but that ebb and flow never changes. And um, they're developing new uh, technology every day to help support patient health. And, and people, the human element is so unique that you never know um, what is going to come up next. You try to, to kind of account for it, but um, I, I would say that you really need to be agile and, um, you know, besides the core best practices that you implement for ransomware defense, um, defending, you know, pacemaker. So, you know, like pacemakers, radiology machines, God knows what they're going to come up with next. We definitely have a more bigger complexity of systems, I think, um, to account for in the, the holistic, uh, you know, all of our stuff. Scheme of things. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Lost my words there. <laughs> No, yeah, you, you have a stuff and things. Yeah. Thank you. And you have, uh, what is it, MIOT with the, the medical uh, IoT now? Yes. Which is a huge target. Um, yeah, so David, I'd like to get your insight next. You know, what are you seeing in terms of how ransomware is evolving, uh, even within the past, you know, six months to a year? And what do you feel are the key challenges that CISOs and other security leaders face when it comes to preventing ransomware attacks? Prevention is a big word. Yes. Uh, so we'll, we'll get back to that one. But um, yeah, 
Ransomware is one of those things that's just, it's not going away. The bad guys keep finding new ways to take advantage of it and use it. And I mean, ransomware is a service. We all have heard of that one by now. You basically go out and you rent your ransomware attacker and you rent the tools to get it done and to get it infiltrated into people's networks. And then it's not just encrypt the data anymore and hold the key ransom. It's take the data and encrypt the data and then hold it both ransom. So, okay, we'll, we'll sell you the key to decrypt it. But by the way, we also still have it. So you also need to do these things to keep us from distributing it. So they're just taking advantage more and more of the data they're able to get access to. So um, I don't see it going away anytime soon. I think a lot of this comes down to awareness. So your prevention question, it's not going to be prevented, but awareness is key. So malware gets into networks primarily because users do stupid things. I've tried for the last 25 years to get users out of the equation. It hasn't worked. If somebody can come up with that, please let me know. But in the meantime, making people aware of how, even if you've got the most minuscule job or you've got the, the, the least critical role and you don't have access to any of the critical data, you're still a really critical component of your company. And you need to understand that any action that you do, anything that you click on, anything that you're not paying attention to that you just blindly do could lead to a ransomware attack. So it's really comes down to that awareness and making sure people understand what they, the impact of everything that they do. And then it's about relationship building. Everything that we do on the security side is about relationship building because we don't own the products. We don't own the technology. We don't own the data, but the people that do need to understand where the risks are coming from. And that doesn't happen by us coming down with a heavy fist going, thou shalt not. It comes down to us explaining to them the value of that data in a bad guy's hands. So prevention is a big word, but certainly education and awareness are key. All right, then I'm going to adjust my follow-up question oh and not make it about prevention. It's going to be more about awareness. But if you were to look at, you know, large enterprises or even small to medium-sized businesses, um, what would be your three prevention slash awareness tactics that you would recommend to someone regardless of industry or size of organization? Is it a mix of people, process, technology, or should it be really focused on the awareness and education? It's got to be a mix of the three people, process and technology. So like I said, the awareness, the, the awareness programs, uh, fishing simulations, um, online tutorials, teaching people about what, where the threats are coming from, what the threats are, but then you also need the tools. So you need the anti-phishing tools. You need the anti, um, or the data leak prevention tools. You need those tools in place as well, but they're still only going to work part-time because they're just tools. They only know what we've programmed them to know, at least today. We'll see what happens tomorrow with AI, but the end users need to be the first line of defense. Great insight there. All right, let's move on to the next uh, topic, um, which is another threat that continues to span across all sectors, which is the threat of supply chain. And uh, Bistra, you're next. You ready? I am. All right, let's do it. <laughs> no, that was it. That was the entire question. Just supply chain, go. <laughs> All right, next time. <laughs> am I ready to tackle supply chain or am I ready to answer questions? I am ready with all of it. You're but ready now, to cure the problem. 
<laughs> so at Crown Holdings, you're at the helm of overseeing threats within the organization um, and you're within the manufacturing and supply industry. So being on the operations side of the house uh, with so many other moving parts within the operational pipeline, such as procurement and logistics um, and the expansive threat landscape that you're up against. I'm just curious how you, one, identify risks within the supply chain across the board and two, be able to consistently manage those risks. Well, identification of risk or identifying risk or identifying when a third party is breached is a, a very tricky process. So that starts with someone, um, ideally a uh, vendor coming forward and saying, um, yeah, we were breached. Um, hopefully that happens, but that usually happens in the very back end because no one is, um, especially manufacturing, no one is um, uh, made to, or there's no any restrictions or obligations to report a breach, especially when we're talking about uh, no PH, uh, PII data. I'm coming from healthcare before, so PHI is also in my mind. But, um, so uh, it, that is the uh, first and foremost is if you get a report, um, then you can start your action. But before that, just because I'm coming from operations, um, third-party breach, uh, response for third-party breach should be no different than response for any sort of incident. And how that happens is with preparation for it. So you have to be prepared. You have to understand um, what happens after that incident. Um, preparation means is, do you, first off, understand your risk? Um, do you understand the risk posture of your company? Do you understand and do you have that risk classified? Um, because you're not able to react to every third party breach the same way uh, if you have your risk categorized. Uh, in essence, uh, this specific company is breached. Do you know if that company, uh, what, what's the relationship between your company and the, the breach company? Do they have any of your data? What type of data it is? Uh, do they have access to your network? What, uh, what type of access it is? How is uh, access facilitated? That kind of categorizes the risk itself. So um, say for a high risk vendor, your response is completely different than for an informational or low risk. So for us, for example, uh, recently we have been um, seeing a uptick of uh vendors that have and suppliers and vendors that have been uh, interestingly now breached. Um, they have been breached. And uh, then as a result, uh, the attacker has, for example, monitored um, information from uh, um, emails going back and forth and noticed that this vendor talks to this big company and there's a lot about invoices and all that. So they go ahead and spin a, a lookalike domain and go back to the breach vendor and say, hey, we're from Crown and we're in the process of changing our banking. So please send the banking info or please send your payment to this uh, uh, new banking um, uh, site or the, the new banking information. We have... Um, when we deal with, uh, we deal with, uh, the Coca-Cola's of the world and all that, they do have very, uh, well, um, trained personnel to, 
to find those. And they also don't rely on this um, ever going to ever getting past their email uh, gateway, for example. Uh, but small companies, mom and pop shops, which is a lot of breweries now we have. Um, it's it's great to be in this business right now because we have craft cocktails they're putting in a can. Uh, water is being put in a can. So can manufacturing is expanding. Um, but you have these small companies that do not have any protection. They do not have any security team. They have not heard of security. And they fall for the smallest thing. And, um, and they may not have visibility either in, no, in terms of don't. who they're working with. Um, so how do you do that from uh, from a Big Brother's perspective? Is we, We've certainly had an issue like this where uh, not only that our technology came short a little bit, but just lack of technology on the vendor side that actually became a problem here. So what we end up doing is we extend our education to our vendors. We extend that education and awareness to the vendors and say, uh, there are certain elements uh, in this email that you should have called perhaps, and it's not from a technology perspective, but just from a human perspective, look at the language and look how this is. So um, from, from that point on is detection, but going back to um, us as a, a big vendor, catalog, catalog, catalog your risk, understand your risk, also catalog your vendors, understand what your vendors are. Are they vendors or are they suppliers? Do they provide services? Do they provide supplies? You know, there's different uh, reactions there on that. Uh, and then go back to your business. You need to have that really good relationship with business to know um to know how this is all done with the vendor, right? Mm -hmm. And because when you get a report, oh, which is actually something I got yesterday, uh, this vendor reported that they were breached and we're not sure what the extent to uh, that is for our company. So uh, does, does, the, um, does the actual procurement or the, the team or the group that has that relationship they even understand right. that relationship. Right, right. So what we started doing is comprising that kind of library uh, for vendors. But that unfortunately happens post-breach, after the fact, yeah. um, which is something that hasn't been done before. But it is now coming up to the forefront. And now we're just documenting so-and-so got breached. And yeah. These are the relationships. I once had a vendor back in the day, I'm going to have someone in the, the audience laugh at this, that we were doing an assessment on when I was an analyst who told me that their physical security measures was a 150-pound German Shepherd, um, and the business <laughs> chose to do business with them anyway. So, you know, doing business with certain small mom-and-pop shops, especially coming from uh, cryptocurrency where you had a lot of niche vendors um, fulfilling roles where not a lot of companies existed, um, you know, it's, it's a matter and it's a risk of doing business, right? So you want to make sure that you don't use, if you need to use these vendors that, you know, the security posture is wonderful, that you don't do it for something really critical. And, you know, to your question earlier about uh, ransomware being pervasive and healthcare being slammed by ransomware. So think of it in two different ways, right? So, uh, Patient data is evergreen, right? So you will never be able to change it like a bank account number or something like that. And it will continue to affect your patients for years and years to come in ways that you don't know and, mm -hmm. and you can't really speculate on yet. Um, and, you know, the complexity of systems and stuff like that. So uh, 
Yeah, I mean, there are things that you can do with security awareness to to train and to kind of form that um, relationship with your industry yeah. uh, peers. So relationship building. So um, I'm totally going to preemptive like one of your questions because I could get up on soapbox about this. So um, what can we do better um, across industries is information share. I view us in healthcare as just one huge cybersecurity team that is um, think of it as like a global and a BSO relationship. Every practice or, or every healthcare organization has its cybersecurity person who ultimately reports up through some central audit and, and you know, intelligence committee or some sort of entity to information share as to how we are being attacked. Use your HISACs or your, your ISACs period. Um, we got a, some of the best intelligence from our ISAC because healthcare is awesome and the information sharing that goes along. You're talking about vendor breaches and sometimes you don't find out about six months from now when, you know, in healthcare, they're like, oh, you have like 60 days to report a breach to someone. Okay, but we know that time is of the essence and you should report within 72 hours. Guess what? I don't even need you to tell me because HISAC has already told me that your stuff has been found out on the dark web. And guess what? I went out and scrubbed the dark web for something because I didn't believe a vendor that our information wasn't affected to. So, um, there are a lot of things you can do with information sharing, working as a community versus thinking you're in it alone. Yeah. Manufacturing ISAC is not there yet. Oh, no. <laughs> There's 20 people uh, on that uh, uh, membership, so it's not there. Well, David, I, I want to ask you your thoughts on this because um, you're a security veteran, 25 years in the game now. So you've got to see the evolution of digital supply chain emerge. And at uh, Penn National Gaming, you're responsible for 40 casinos. 20 hotels, a hundred restaurants and retail as well. So Holy crap, really? <laughs> I mean, that's what's on your LinkedIn. Oh, boy. <laughs> so with the growing complexity of supply chain um, and the increased opportunities for bad actors to exploit vulnerabilities, what have you found in terms of, um, we'll keep it high level protocols and procedures uh, that protect and ensure the the CIA triad, the confidentiality, integrity, and availability throughout the entire supply chain. And uh, how do you enforce it across such a massive ecosystem? Huh. Um, before minutes. we get into that, one, one more thing on the, um, uh, on the sharing of information. One thing that I've done throughout my career, particularly with smaller companies that everybody partners with, we, we all have small companies, mom and pop shops, whatever you want to call them, that you have to do business with. They don't have security people. They don't have security practitioners. Most of them don't even have IT teams. But I've found over the years that they suffer a lot from uh, account takeover. Simple email account takeover. You'll start getting emails from them that don't come from them. Reach out to them. Help them. Explain to them what's happening, why it's happening. They probably don't even understand that they have been exposed by this point because they are that small. They're, they're just doing their jobs. They're clicking their emails. They're, they're, everything's working. They don't know that somebody else is doing the same thing. So I've always found that helping small companies, I've worked for small companies. I've worked for very big companies. Helping small companies only helps the situation. Um, so that, that's just more on the Do you side. tell them when you train them not to, uh, to verify the data or to verify the email via different means? No reply to the email because we had that. Situation. So, so <laughs> I, I tell my own teams that, yeah. So internally um, when Silicon Valley bank went up, um, that was not a breach. That was just poor management, but hopefully a lot of people in this room saw what was about to happen. A lot of imposter names came up, a lot of imposters saying, Oh, we're, we're changing our bank. We're, here's our new routing number. I immediately went to our finance team and said, 
if anything comes to you over the next few weeks about somebody changing banks or changing routing numbers, please verify phone calls, not emails, not anything that's on your phone. Just talk to people. Talking is that critical. It always has been and it always will be. Uh, yeah, we added this. Yeah, yeah, we added this in our procedures because we had a situation where someone received an email. It was a little, if kind of didn't look right, but then she replied to the same email saying, "Is this legit?" And she got a reply back. Yes, of course it is. Of course. <laughs> Trust me, I found my graphics on Google. <laughs> Good. Um. All right, which leads me into the next topic, and this riff session would not be complete without discussing something on everyone's radar and probably everyone's computer screen right now, which is generative AI. So Krista, the use of generative AI is exploding at rapid speed, especially the use of transformers, which is a type of neural network for everything from text and image generation to protein folding and quantum chemistry. And I think that we can all agree that chat GPT is at the uh, forefront of this wave that we're seeing right now. Do you feel like generative AI has a place in the enterprise? What benefits can it provide and where could the risk lie, uh, especially when you look at the healthcare sector? Generative AI helped me to write this response. (laughs) Like all all joking aside, I actually tested it out because I'm like, oh man, I'm really having governance. I'm writing a program right now. And I I was like, okay, see if you can do better than me at writing an acceptable use policy. And it was a pile of garbage. So, uh, you know, be wary what you use it for, but use it for the right purposes because it literally is like an internet parrot. So, um, yeah, I mean, healthcare is cool. So healthcare, again, when I talk about innovating the spaces, right, what, what the heck is healthcare maybe using it for? So a lot of you, if there are any healthcare folks out here, probably saw the notifications that Epic is partnering with Microsoft. <laughs> Do I get a drink now? Was that for Epic or for Microsoft? Who's who's in here? Anyone from Epic? We're not cool enough for Epic. I just want to throw that out there if you know anything about their business model. So... I want to be a cool kid if anybody's here from Epic. Um, yeah, so um, healthcare, I think you're really going to see it explode in the space. So this is just my brainstorming after reading some of the capabilities, try, trying it out and, and reading what um, some EHRs are doing in the space. Um, I could totally see it help with the RCM or revenue cycle management flow um, when it comes to coding, right? So I don't know if you, you guys are familiar with healthcare coding, essentially assigning a code to how you should bill something in the clinic. And, you know, a lot of these smaller clinics, physicians have to do it themselves because they don't have the, the resources to do it. So I could totally see um, generative AI helping with um, better coding um, because coding uh, deficiencies is, is a big compliance issue. And then there are fines that come off of it. And then you have to change it. And then it costs money to insurance agencies. It costs money to the business. It costs money to healthcare in general, which helps raise or sorry, hurts healthcare by raising costs of healthcare across the board. So I would love to see that incorporated into coding to help physicians and, and help folks to do it better um, as far as quality. The other thing that I could totally see that we were speculating earlier on is treatment, right? So this generative AI is going to have access to things within um, within your EHR systems, right? So that's going to be like your entire health history that's in there. So it's relying on the health history being, you know, exact and and sufficient and and putting stuff in there that needs to be in there, um, you know, from your health history, et cetera. But um, I could totally see it helping physicians. So one of the articles I read on Becker's is that um, 
you know, we don't have enough physicians coming in because physicians are becoming so specialized right now, whereas a doctor used to do everything. So I think it'll definitely help alleviate that the time um, with figuring out, you know, what treatment is more appropriate and will help the patient um, to be more effective um, based on the physician's recommendation and then also based on the health history because everybody's unique, right? So you can't just treat one person the same way as another person. I would love to see the health, the health care space because I know physicians and staff are really strapped right now and I think that would be awesome. I mean, the cybersecurity stuff, obviously, right, to help with log aggregation and save time for already strapped cybersecurity teams that are trying to do that stuff now and we have some pretty powerful tools, um, but you know, not everybody has access to those powerful tools. So I think it'll, it'll definitely help streamline um, identification and response um, in some capacities. I, I know there's been a lot of um, research out there by security organizations already to help with that. Absolutely. Um, let me go to Bistro real quick. Bistro is in the manufacturing space once again, to remind everyone. <laughs> and um, to improve efficiency, you know, generative AI is in increasingly being leveraged in that industry. Um, and Bistro, you're in a position where detection is critical, right? So I'm curious, moving forward, uh, how can security teams ensure that they have the necessary expertise and resources to effectively manage and monitor generative AI systems as they become introduced into the enterprise environment? And what training and development opportunities should be available in your opinion, to help with these capabilities? So at first it starts with, we're talking about smart manufacturing. If anyone knows anything about um, can manufacturing, the precision at which a can needs to be manufactured is 0.2% higher than NASA. So that's a fact for everyone. Um, there's, there's a lot of elements go into it. Um, it was surprising to me when I went to a factory in a plant, we called them, and uh, there was 200 people that were employed there. And yet on the floor, there was no one. So I was kind of shocked where all the 200 people were. But in the meantime, in the middle of the plant, there was a, a what they called a war room uh, that it was a bunch of uh, big screens that projected data. And what they're trying to do is uh, with smart, smart manufacturing is they're collecting a ton of data that's out there. And what do we do with that data to do better projections on um, better uh, uh, manufacturing, faster manufacturing? When do we slow down? When do we increase production? Um, and it, it was really interesting that there was just uh, two guys that were really trying to do that by themselves. Not, not, not understanding they were actually doing AI on the back end without really getting to that point. My point first is um, cool off the hype on AI within companies. Um, all of a sudden with chat GPT, I mean, we had people running around and saying, what, what is this? What are we doing? And not understanding really what is going on. So it starts with um, have solid use cases and understand what you're solving for, first and foremost. Um, is it um, something that you can do with uh, uh, the technology that you currently have? Understand that do you have the data that's necessary that goes into a um, AI model to get back the output that you're needing? 
or are you doing this just for the hype of it, right? I'm, I'm not just looking in chat GPT and all that. I'm looking at it from the back end perspective. Um, how do we enable business? How do we make how do we make cans faster um, and and more of it, right? So understand uh, the use case scenario. Go back to your business and gather that kind of data. Um, the next thing is from security perspective. Do you know what type of model that you need to employ to, to train? You know, basically, how do you train your dragon? Do you have that in, enough information? Um, can you use, for example, not to get too technical here, but can you use, let's say, synthetic data uh, to train your dragon? Um, which means that with synthetic data, that's data that's not necessarily uh, come from um, a, a use scenario, right? That the data that's not used, it's artificially generated. Uh, it's more of a statistical data as opposed to data that's already gone through, which may have potentially uh, trade secrets and what have you, because that's the biggest thing. What are you exposing out there when, when you're putting the information out and what are you getting back? Um, for us, for example, even from a DLP perspective, I know I'm deviating a little bit, but even from a DLP perspective, uh, we do have a lot of uh, uh, patents, but I'm not going to protect the patents. They're out there and they're publicly available. What I'm going to protect is the process by which we derive to a patent. Um, which is the same thing with um, AI. How do you derive to that training model? What type of data are you putting? What type of input are you getting into? And what does that contain? Do Unless you, you build a chat GPT internally and you're hosting it on-prem. Which is what the next thing was going to be my point. After you've taken a look at the, all of this, what is the technology then that's offering something that stays within? Um, with... With that, we have Microsoft that uh, is talking about enabling, um, I'm like, click on a name. It's not ChatGPT, but it will come to me. Uh, anything you develop, then it stays in your Azure instance, for example, and doesn't leave uh, the realm. Now, it goes back to how do you manage your cloud instance and all that stuff, but it's all correlated and connected. Um, and then once you do all of this, do you have the experts who actually understand the data and what they get out of it? And, um, you know, just like you said, uh, with chat GPT and all these technologies, literally garbage in, garbage out. Do you understand prompt engineering? There's new, there's new um, universities that have been thinking about prompt engineering as, as a, a brand new um line of computer science is exactly that to ask the right questions so you can get the right data so you get really really good data if you ask garbage you get garbage and garbage in garbage out so um we kind of have this Gardner actually has this um uh tactics framework i think they call it for ai um collect combine this do that research and and that's how you go back to business and empower business mm -hmm. once you have all the knowledge and all that information. So have those correlations and, and talk to your business about, do you really have use cases to um, unveil this and, and do anything with it? That's great. And generative AI or AI could be its own talk. I mean, oh, yeah. um, and it will sure. be. So marcosecurity.com. <laughs>
coming soon. Am I invited? Absolutely. <laughs> I have a lot of notes. I <laughs> a lot of last call. All right. I just heard last call at the bar. You guys have time for one more? Sure. A drink. All right. We're going to go down the line. Chris, I'm going to start with you. If you opened a cybersecurity themed bar, what would the name be? And what would your signature drink be called? Man. All right. So uh, I'm a lot better of a writer than a speaker. So I have some presentation work to do with the board. So I actually wrote this one down because I thought it was really good. And then you can break my heart afterwards when it sucks. So um, I actually ganked someone else's drink because we know C says, why reinvent the wheel? If it's already out there, we're already strapped for resources. So I chose the last resort. Uh, this is a twist on the brandy sour from a co-founder of a bar in New York city called employees only. So it's absinthe, um, some sort of pear brandy. I can't pronounce because it's bougie, um, simple syrup, egg white and garnished with nut meg and bitters. Um, to me, this is a break glass type of drink. So this is going to be served at my bar called the dumpster fire. Mm. Um, so when all else fails and your arsenal has been depleted, drink up and accept that even the best of us can't do it all. So sit back and embrace your failure with a fine cocktail knowing that the failure breeds innovation and this too shall pass. And I wish you could see my, this is fine graphic to go along with my advertising. Thank you all. David, what you got? So ironically over COVID I built a bar in my basement because vendors were sending me alcohol. So I had to do something (laughs) with it. So I built a bar and I call it the underground cantina. And that's what we're going to go with, the underground cantina. Nice. And what do you, what do you uh, serve in there? So, <sighs> everything. No, can't disclose it, it. It's, it's, it's <laughs> very simple. It's just rye, neat. Okay. Um, because it just goes down hard, a yeah. lot like our days in cybersecurity. <laughs> okay, Bistro, what you got? Oh, how do I top those two? But um, so, and then I have another, I have, I have a little bit of a story where I used to live. Uh, there was a bar called, and listen to this, a lot of you will know what it is. It was called Lewinsky on Clinton. Delaware City. Ouch. Delaware City. Yep. For I know dogs. exactly where it is. You guys know. I'm glad. So how do you top that? <laughs> it's so clever. So mine is very, very geeky. Uh, so mine will be called TLS 13, but actually it's not 13, it's 1.3. And the dot is this little, like a key cipher kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> very nerdy. I didn't know that. Um, and the drink is called Cypher Storm. And nice. it is bourbon. Um, shaken really vigorously with just a dash of Bing cherry syrup. Sounds dangerous. Yes. Oh, oh, go. wait. Um, it was another thing. Big, um, one of these big um, ice. And on the top of ice, you have carved that little dot, cipher oh, dot. Oh, Fancy. Wow. Very fancy. Yeah, I'd like to thank all the guests today for for joining me. Um, Thanks again, everyone. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, guys. As you 
know, Barcode is where security and IT professionals hang out after a long day. So get your message front and center to our fans by sponsoring an episode or live show. Learn more at barcodesecurity.com slash sponsor. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at barcodesecurity.com.